that clip not because she has anything beneficial to say, but rather to reveal that we live in a world that desperate is desperate to have some guidance on how to be a good parent. That video, as I mentioned, had over three million views. And the best, at best, her view of parenting was bleak. Parents today are looking for help. They have incre incredible anxiety about how to be a good parent. And begs the question, what does it mean to be, a, to be successful at parenting? I don't know if you, if you noticed, but the, the speaker concluded with these thrilling goals of teaching her children decency, a work ethic, love, and then she concludes that they would, she would let happiness and self-esteem take care of themselves. She's lost. Obviously, has no reference to God, no understanding of him to help her in her parenting. But how about you? What goals do you have for your parenting, for your children? What purpose do you have in your parenting. We have, as we talked about, we have, we have goals in our jobs. Uh, many of us, if we went around the room and talked about the specifics of our jobs, many of them would be pretty intense. We have deadlines, we have goals. I have to start work at this time, I have to finish at this time, I have this deadline to meet, that deadline to meet, and because of that, I have to do A, B, C, and D every day, this week, stay up late, get up early. We have Goals for our yards, our landscaping, even our gardens. I've heard of people make, who make plans, and this year I, I got to get this in the garden at this time, and you know then I got to do this, I got to do that to have my yard looking just so. We even have goals for our vacations or our sports teams. If if we get this player in the draft, have you heard those people that are so focused? We get this player in the draft, and if we beat this team in the playoff, then then I'm sure my team will do will do this. But do we have goals for our children? See, when we have goals, we make plans, and, and we're very intentional about how to achieve those goals and those plans. Um, for example, I know many of you would probably join me and say, hey, I've tried to lose weight. And so because of that, I've, I've done A, B, and C. I don't eat, I don't eat um, sugar. I, I only eat during these periods of time, and I exercise, and I do all these things. I'm very strict about it because I'm trying to lose weight. Well, too many parents go through life just like that TED Talk speaker, just wanting to survive parenthood. I've heard everything from, I just want to get my child through high school without getting pregnant or taking drugs, to I just want my child to be able to get a job so that they move out of my house someday. And those are the extent of parents' goals. And while that may not be anyone here tonight we must realize that God has great goals and plans for our children. And we are the instrument God has chosen to use to accomplish those goals. And when <clears throat> parents, if you don't have goals and plans for your children, don't misunderstand. There are many others who have plans for your children. This world Satan and his legions have goals for your children, terrible goals for your children. He plans to tell your children lies about, God, about who God is and about who they are. The public school system has plans 
for your children. They have plans to educate your children on evolution, about how God doesn't exist, about how uh, their sexuality, their gender, and many other things. Even your children's friends have goals for your children. And many of them are not very good. For parents with godly goals for their children, many parents lack the details and follow-through required to meet them as the other goals and plans we pursue in life. So you may be listening tonight asking the question, well, what plans and goals should I have for my parenting, for my children? So I want to spend the remaining time we have to look at a familiar passage of Scripture for many of us tonight, one that highlights God's instructions to parents and answers that question for us. And that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. We'll read them together, verses 1 through 9 of Deuteronomy 6. Read, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, that they shall be a, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Many of you probably know this already, but deuter means second, namas, meaning law. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. The children of Israel here are about to enter the promised land, and be under the leadership of Joshua. They were given it once before, but they didn't obey God's commands. And so now, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God is giving it to them again through Moses. But before they enter, they must learn and know and teach these truths to their children. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God tells us that our role as parents is crucial. Chapter 4, verse 9, emphasizes that parents must make the scriptures known to their children and their grandchildren. Chapter 5, verse 29, says we must obey God's laws that it might go well with your children and your descendants. Here in chapter 6, verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Here in Deuteronomy, God is telling us over and over that if you want your family to be blessed, if you want your children and your grandchildren to be blessed, the role and influence of parents, and in Bible times, being a patriarchal society, the role of the father specifically, could not be underestimated. And you don't have to look very far in our world today to see the horrible effect that absentee parents have on their children. So as Christians, we have the tremendous advantage of a God who loves us 
and gave us instructions on how to accomplish his will in our families. And this is crucial for us to know and to teach our children so that they might know God, love him, and live for him. So tonight we're looking at three aspects of what God wants us to do so that our families might be blessed and we might accomplish his will. Notice, first of all, in chapter 6, verse 1, that every parent should be a learner. Every parent should be a learner. It says in verse 1, this is the commandment, this is Moses writing this, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me, Moses, to teach you, the children of Israel. Specifically the parents and the, and the, and the dads. God commanded Moses to teach the children of Israel and to challenge the fathers that they would learn God's commands. Why? Well, he tells us in verse 1, so that they may do them. Verse 2, so that you might fear the Lord your God by keeping out his statutes and his commandments so that your days may be long. Again, verse 3, that it may go well with you. God has designed families to know and to live for him, but he tells us that it starts with the parents. We need parents who know God's word and live God's word so that our lives back up what we teach our children each day. And that doesn't happen just by coming to church each Sunday and Wednesday, as good and profitable and necessary as that is. It doesn't happen by reading the Daily Bread or any other five-minute devotional book. We must be in God's Word each day, studying, memorizing, meditating on it each day so that our lives speak as loudly as our words about Scripture, about the God that we serve. Now, many of you are parents of of grown children and may even have grandchildren or even great-grandchildren. So you you understand this blessing that Moses is talking about here. I have to say, it is a blessing now the parent of a 23-year-old young man who's about to be married in less than a month uh, to have conversations about godly things and about the Bible. Um, Chris and I only have just the one son to focus on, and so that was probably bad for him, good for us. Um, but we certainly faced many situations that drove us to prayer as we, as we raised him. Um, but it's a tremendous blessing to have a child who is striving to know God better and to live for him. I couldn't tell you how many times in the last year he has um, said to me in a phone call or texted me more often than not, uh, Dad, I've been reading this in the Bible, and, and what do you think about this? Or I, I was listening to this podcast or this message or reading this book. What, what do you think about this? And to know that he's continuing to read, to study God's word, and to live God's word out on his own is a blessing you can't uh, put any amount of money on. And it probably goes without saying, but we cannot teach what we do not know. And so we must strive to be learners ourselves of God's word. But not only do we need to be learners, but secondly, we see that every parent should be a teacher. Every parent should be a teacher. We have a number of teachers in our church, especially now that we have a, now uh, having a school in, uh, as part of our church ministry. Um, but every parent should be a teacher. Look at verse 7. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Teaching your children God's commands is mentioned all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. We see it in chapter 4, verses 10 and 14, chapter 5, verse 31, chapter 6, verses 1 and 7, chapter 11, verse 19, 20, and verse 18, 31, verse 19. 
Parents, we are the primary teachers of our children. Teaching your children the Bible is not the sole job of the Sunday school teacher or the junior church worker or our youth pastor, as great as they are. Helping your children understand the Bible is the job of the parent. Don't know what to do? Not sure? Have questions? We're going to have a Q&A in just a few minutes. Ask, take any time to talk with any of the pastors. Be glad to sit down and talk with you about how you can teach your children better, help them better understand the Bible each day. But verse 7 says, we are to teach them diligently. Teaching our children should happen every single day. And I've met a lot of people who are diligent about a lot of things. Uh, as I mentioned, I've met people who are diligent about, the, about what they eat. They won't have anything with sugar. They won't have any soda. They won't have meat. Uh, not, they won't have this, but they only eat this. And they only eat during a certain part of the day. I've met people who are intense um, and diligent about working out. Who work out you know, every day they walk. Every day they lift weights. Whether they're on vacation, whether it's winter. Day in, day out, doesn't matter. They are working out. Some of these people I really admire, and some of these people are just a little bit crazy. But, but verse 7 says that our teaching should be both formal and informal throughout the day, in the morning, afternoon, evening, every day, every week of the year. In fact, Orthodox Jews in Bible times, and still to this day, 2,000 years later, quote this every morning when they get up and every night before they go to bed. Probably familiar to most of you, it's called the Shema, taken from the first word of verse 4, to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every single morning and every single evening of every single day, they're diligent. So we should have formal times of teaching. Every, every family is different. Schedules are often busier than they should be, especially these days. But we need to find time to teach our children the Bible. It could be at the breakfast table. It could be at the dinner table. It might be the only time you might have is before you go to bed. But you must find a time. And your teaching with your children will change as they get older. As they get older and they start studying the Bible on their own, you might talk with them about what they're learning in their own study time. But we have formal times of teaching. We also have informal times. Look at, again, he describes that for us in verse 7. He says, shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Our son happens to love the outdoors. Sometimes I think he'd be happiest if he worked outside and lived outside every day. Um, and Chris, I admittedly, was better at this than I was, but we'd be outside at night, not in New Jersey, where you can't see the stars, but you'd look up, perhaps in New York, and you'd see just millions of stars. You'd be able to see the galaxies. And, and she would talk about how amazing our God is, that he could create the stars and the galaxies, and you'd talk with our son about how awesome God is with that. Or we'd be outside on a hike or a walk, and we'd talk about, various animals, talk about the wonder of, of God, how God could create each one so differently with such different abilities. Teaching Bible truths through normal everyday occurrences is, is valuable as well. It can be as simple as talking about a TV show or a commercial, uh, seeing if they pick up the message that is being taught in those commercials or in those TV shows. 
after you've watched a, a movie, talk about the theme and, and what was being taught in that movie. Did they catch it? Help them see and understand what, what is uh, coming through those. I've had many conversations with our son about what was happening in his life. Some, some were as simple as talking about his friends. Is that guy a good friend? What makes someone a good friend? Are they influencing you or are they influencing are, are you, I'm sorry, are they influencing you or are you influencing them? And the book of Proverbs is full of observational truth. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, for example, talks about the ant and applies the truth of the ant to the lazy person. So we can teach our children all throughout the day. But we also need visual reminders. Look at verses 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Pharisees took this literally and made little wooden boxes called phylacteries. They wrote the Shema on little pieces of paper in those boxes. And they would, they would bind it and they would wrap it around and put it on their forehead and on their forearms. This would help them to think, to think God's word and to do God's word. So that every day... They had those boxes, and they would remind them, think God's word and do God's word. And this can even be done around our house today. We don't need to to bind boxes on our foreheads, on our forearms. But we can do that. I've seen many people do that effectively in their homes, get nice wall clings that have great scripture, or perhaps might be a poster. It can be as simple as a post-it on the bathroom mirror, reminding us of God's truth around our house each day. Why? Because our lives and our schedules are are busier than ever, and so it gets easy to get caught up in our everyday events and forget about God. So so far we've seen that every parent should be a learner, every parent should be a teacher, and lastly, every moment should be a heart moment. Every moment should be a heart moment. Verses 5 and 6 read, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I save this point for last because I believe it deserves special attention. Notice that the total commitment it requires in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Forty times in the book of Deuteronomy, the writer talks about the heart. Our heart is at the core of everything that we think, say, and do. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, everything that we do, say, think, comes from our heart, and so we must guard it. Satan and his world system are constantly going after our hearts and the hearts of our children. We must protect our hearts and our children's hearts and fill them with the truth of God's word. Because our our thoughts control our feelings, which direct our behavior. Wrong thoughts produce wrong desires, wrong feelings. It produces wrong behavior. Godly thoughts produces godly desires, produces godly behavior. But we must not only give our hearts to God as parents, but we must go after the hearts of our children. Chris and I have the, the privilege of leading a young couple small group. Uh, they're the best small group. 
Uh, being a part of that class has probably been a greater blessing to us than it has been to them. Um, but for our summer series last summer, we, we went through Getting to the Heart of Parenting with Paul David Tripp. Excellent video series. I highly recommend it. Um, it's in, and it's the lessons that we learned about the heart has come up in discussion after discussion after discussion because so many discussions about the heart applies to all of life. Uh, he also has a, a book that applies specifically to raising teens called Age of Opportunity, if you're interested. Again, that's Paul David Tripp. But the focus of that entire series was to go after the hearts of your children. Because much of today's parenting advice focus pri- is, focuses primarily on controlling a child's behavior. If you don't like your child doing this, then, then practice this habit. And when it comes down to all the different methods you might have heard, you might have read books, you might have listened to a series, most of today's parenting advice comes down to three power tools. The first power tool that parents usually pull out is the power tool of fear. Getting them so afraid of consequences that they don't dare disobey again. For example, the child might do something wrong, and the mom says, you wait until your father gets home. Get that finger out. And you wait till your father gets home. He's going to take care of you, right? And the child's eyes get really big, which is what every father wants to come home to. The problem with this power tool is that there comes a time when your children will no longer fear you. By the time our six-foot-six son was in high school, he was taller than me, he was stronger than me, he could beat me at one-on-one, and although I had never tested it, I don't think he feared me anymore. At least he didn't fear what I could do to him. That's the first power tool that most parents uh, commonly turn to. The second power tool that a lot of parents turn to is reward, which is simply behavior manipulation. And unfortunately, I've seen this many times with uh, even parents in our school. It usually comes in the form, some form of like, be a good boy in school and I'll buy you McDonald's after school today. Or don't hit your sister today and I'll buy you that video game. The problem with this tool is we're just teaching our children moral economics. Our children will, will are smart. They will start raising the bar on what you must do and, or buy them in order to gain their obedience. And, and in the end, they do what they want, not because they love God, not because they love you, but because they love themselves and they're out for what they can get you to get them. Again, our children are very smart. They watch us. They watch you, they know you better than you think, and they figure out pretty quickly what it takes to get their way. The last tool that we see parents often using is shame, which is another form of behavior manipulation. Have you heard a parent say, you know, it makes me so sad when you disobey me. When you disobey me, it ruins mommy's whole day. It makes me want to cry. You don't want to make mommy cry, do you? And we shame our children. And this may work for a time, but it does not produce lasting change. Parents reach for these tools because they think that they're only, it's the only power they have to produce change in their children. But God has made it clear that not only are we to allow God to work in our hearts, but we want 
We, and we must do our part to let God work in the hearts of our children. And there is no perfect system to change our children's hearts. They are independent people who grow up to make independent choices. One thing I learned very quickly after our son was born, that I could not make decisions for him. Boy, would I if I could have. But I do believe that going after our child's, child's heart with God's heart is the best method of raising them to know and obey him. And Paul Tripp gives uh, five questions. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. He gives these questions that can help us better help our children understand their hearts. Uh, You can use these questions when something has happened, when there's been some type of disobedience, some type of conflict, and your child needs help, and it can be used with children as young as four years old, he said, to as old as 17. First question he says to ask is, is what was going on? What was going on? This, this simply gives you information about what happened. Again, notice you're not lecturing, you're asking questions. Uh, if you look at Jesus' confrontations with, with people in the Bible, he often asked questions. And these questions were aimed at revealing what's going on in their heart. So what's going on? The second question, what were you thinking and feeling when it, as it was happening? What were you thinking and feeling as it was happening? Again, this question gets at what? their heart. What were they thinking and feeling as it was happening? Third question, what did you do in response? What did you do in response? This, why is this the third question, not the second question? Because we want the child to understand that their actions were motivated by their thoughts and feelings. We're, we're trying to get them to see the connection between their heart and their behavior. And depending on the child, you, you may ask this question thousands of times as they're growing up. Because heart change doesn't happen in one discussion. It's a process. The fourth question he recommends is, why did you do it? What were you seeking to accomplish? Again, what does this go after? Their motives, their desires. Again, helping the child to see the connection between their thoughts and desires and their actions. And lastly, what was the result? We're trying to get the child to own his actions and the result of their behavior. He gives an illustration of when he told, and he used these questions on his uh, two-year-old and four-year-old. I think it's very interesting to hear him tell that. It's just a three-minute clip. We're going to watch that uh, clip right now. The four-year-old had the audacity of taking his older brother's Tonka truck. His older brother was outraged that anyone would dare touch anything that belonged to him, and he grabbed the truck and hit his brother over the head with it. Uh, I walked in the room. After comforting the two-year-old, I knelt down so I was face-to-face with the four-year-old, and I said, what was going on here? He said, he took my truck. I said, well, well, what what were you feeling mad yeah that's insightful you touch my stuff it makes me angry that may not seem like a big answer but that's a that's a significant little confession he doesn't know how important that confession is i said well what'd you do i hit him 
Now listen to what happens next. I said, well, why'd you do that? And he just said two words. Deeply insightful, even though he doesn't know how insightful they are. I said, why'd you do that? He said, my truck. You touch what belongs to me and I will do violence to your body. That's the person that I am. Listen, that's a man who will slug his wife. That's a father who will grab his daughter and yank her down the hallway and throw her into her bed. That's a man who will curse violently in traffic. That's a deep, dark admission. And I said, what was the result? And he said, trouble. (laughs) What a beautiful conversation. Now he didn't say to me, I get it, Dad. I'm a sinner. I'm an adulterer. I'm an idolater. I'm all those things. Where's the Savior? No, he didn't. But he's getting a little piece of insight. He's speaking a little bit about his heart. We've had a beautiful conversation he could never have by himself. That's parenting. That's what it's about. And we'll have 10,000 more of those conversations and God will change his heart. Let's pray. So that's one series of questions. That's just some, uh, one example of questions that you can use with your children to help them see what's going on in their heart and make that connection between their hearts, their desires, their motives, and their actions. As parents, we, want, we need to have God control our hearts so that our hearts, God can use our hearts to touch the hearts of our children. Uh, we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask the pastors to come up. We'll, we'll use the remaining 10 minutes for uh, questions and answers that you might have. Um, so we're going to have a word of prayer and have the pastors come up at this time. Father, we do thank you for uh, the, the truths of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and recognize uh, the great need of parents, every one of us, to know you better, to know your word better, so that we, that, uh, we can be vessels uh, to accomplish your will in the lives and hearts of our children each day. And Father, that's a huge task. It's not an easy task. So we ask for your help. We need you. We need your help. Please, Lord, continue to work in our hearts that we might love you and honor you uh, with our children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.